All right, Justin, sing me a song that's just a cover of an 80s song. A song that's just a cover of an 80s song. Yeah, it can even technically be your cover of an 80s song. I'm just saying, sing an 80s song. Man, there are so many. Uh, I'm not going to get this wrong. Uh, <laughs> let me, man, why am I drawing a blank? Um, there's so many songs. I gave you uh, an entire decade of songs to choose from, Justin. <laughs> I, I'm having trouble narrowing it down to one. It's like my my brain is loading up. Uh, well, I'm checking. I'm checking years. I'm like, is that '90s or '80s? No, that's 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 '90s. I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going back. Uh, Justin, this is sad. This is sad. Man, the only songs in my head are like 90s or early 90s. I'm trying to go back. <laughs> really right before you How need to be the at. the fuck are you stuck on just an 80s song? Can I give him an artist and he can go from that? No. Okay. He has to do this on his own. I gave him a decade of music <laughs> to choose from. <laughs> he just has to sing one of them. It was. <laughs> He's better at the complicated ones. <laughs> I know why am I better? I know I didn't expect that. Maybe that's what it what threw me off. Justin, like, this just, is just as bad as when I said sing a song and you failed. <laughs> it's too on the spot. It's too on the spot. Man, I don't know. Okay. Uh oh, that's one. That's one. Uh don't you douche forget about me. Don't you forget about me. There you go. I told you it was just taking a minute. Nice. <laughs> All right, fine. You finally fucking got it. All right, now next, Heather, you need to sing me a song strictly from the year 1979 because I fucked up and thought Mad Max came out in, 19, in the 80s. I was wrong. It was 1979. <laughs> so you have to sing me a song in just 1979. What? Oh, man, you gave me the more specific one? Hey, I was, mm. it was too late. I had already said what Justin okay. had to do. All right. Uh, 1979. Okay. All right. So are we Don't giving you Don't stop till you get enough. Don't stop till you get enough. Is that really a 79 song? Yep. I have no idea. I was wondering if we just gave you enough time to Google songs from 1979. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I definitely did do that. But, you know, it is from 1979. Well, there you go. <laughs> See, Heather gets two points for that. I do. Yes. I get three, Donna. No, you 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 barely get a point. <laughs> Although I was real ready with my 80s song. I, I kind of feel like you should get zero points for just how fucking long it took you to sing the song <laughs> from the end of the breakfast club. I have to cycle through my list, though. You know, that mental list you have. That music catalog. I was going to go with a nice Africa, you know. Oh, yeah. That was my go-to one. By Toto. Or some mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, you know, Billie Jean, or... Yeah, there, I mean, there were options. I don't know what happened. But Whitney all Houston? I was thinking of... Yep. Oh, that'd be some really early Whitney Houston, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think that... W w wouldn't the whole, uh, I want to dance some with somebody, wouldn't that be then? Yep. My favorite yeah. 80s song. Yep. You could have gone with a Rebel Yell. By Billy Idol. What'd you say? Rebel Yell. Oh. You could have done yeah. anything from, from Culture Club, you know? You could have done but that Karma Chameleon. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
some Marvin Gaye. Time Gay. after time. Yeah, I had options. I, if you I'm got there, if I'm thinking right, anything from Prince's Purple Rain soundtrack. Yeah, I think that movie think came so. out in 1981. It also might be in 1979. Apparently, to me, 1979 is also the 80s. <laughs> 84. <laughs> See, so you can sing anything off that or anything from Morris Day in the Time because the only songs they have are from the 80s. And I don't mean that as a slight to Morris Day in the Time. I love me some Morris Day in the Time, mainly because Prince wrote all their songs. But still, Mm. I really can't believe it was that hard for you to sing an 80s song. Uh, All that kept coming to mind was, okay, this song, wait, that's, that's 90s. Wait, nope, that's early 90s. Nope, I think that's 1990. It was just taking a while. All I kept co- all that kept coming to mind was 90s stuff. You could have done a Devo's Whip It. Mm-hmm. Mm, yep. You could have done that song but about given- <laughs> walking 500 miles and then walking 500 more. Oh, yeah. I would walk 500 miles. Yeah. <laughs> you could have done a uh, minute work safety dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forgot about that one. But give him something real specific, and he's going to get it really quick. <laughs> That's how Justin rolls. You apparently. say that. You say that. Yet he, even with this whole singing '80s song, in him finally, you know, getting a point for that, he's still losing. So you can't even say that. I don't know, man. I still need to check my records, man. I think I'm pretty sure I'm well over 500 at this. We point. have 100. This will be the 100 and. <laughs> 60th episode and i know i didn't do we haven't done this contest for all 160 of them but i'm just saying that's 160 episodes to go through and i guarantee you you've got a losing record (laughs) at least half of them are are this i'm pretty sure probably yeah it's got to be at least so let's just assume there's 80 of them i would assume justin that based on the 80 episodes it is probably like 16 to 64. Me. <laughs> I'm going to do a count one of these days and we're going to find out. It actually wouldn't be that hard to go back and listen and find out because this is yeah. the opening section of every podcast. Right. So you wouldn't so even have gonna, to like I'm listen through do the that. episodes. You would just have to like listen to the beginnings. Yeah, that's true. It probably that's going to be my time. I'm going to be doing that for some homework. Will that be gonna, your weekend? Will out. that be your weekend streaming? Figuring <laughs> yes, out what our records all are. Of our podcasts. But on that note, we've been going for over eight minutes, so I'm playing the song. City fans and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling and as always I'm joined by Heather and Justin and today we are doing another episode from our essentials list and this is one voted on or as suggested and voted and accumulated for our Cinefans list and with that we will be talking about what we like didn't like and everything in between with the movie Mad Max colon Fury Road. And starting us off today, based on what I think I remember from the last episode we did, it is Justin's turn. What are your spoilers? Hold on, before we do that, 
we will be talking uh, spoiler free at the beginning. We will give our recommendations and scores and then give spoilers with time codes in the description. Now, Justin, spoiler free thoughts on Mad Max Fury Road. All right. So this movie um, is kind of like a, a follow up movie to some of the uh, earlier Mad Maxes from the 80s, which now I realize um that's why you kind of went 80s with the song choice uh i'm glad you now just picked up on that (laughs) but uh um but i'm a fan of the mad max movies uh i i really like those movies and so um i think that some of them are iconic just the look of them the costumes this post-apocalyptic movie and this guy that's this road warrior that has these fights with people like it it was just very like uh, forward thinking kind of cinema at that time in the 80s so when i found out that when I first found out that Mad Max Fury Road was coming out, there was a part of me that was excited because I found out that the original director, George Miller, was going to be on the project. So that made me hopeful. But I mean, Cinefans, you know how it goes out there. You you see a lot of these remake movies coming out or these follow up type of movies or these reboot type of movies coming out. And you, you know, you're just not so quick to trust them based on some of the ones that we've got. And I don't think I need to list them. I'm pretty sure the you've seen some of them, or at least you've probably heard about how bad some of them are. So uh, so half of me was excited. And then the other half was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see when it comes out. And man, I mean, I was blown away by how good this movie was like at the time that it came out. I I think that's just really the best way to put it. Uh, This movie just does almost everything right in its execution. And that, and that's really hard to say sometimes for like an action type of movie like this, but it really does. I thought that Tom Hardy taking the helm from Mel Gibson and playing the Max character he did a wonderful job. I loved all of the new characters that they added in this. Um, Charlize Theron as Furiosa in this was she was great in this. Uh, she was a great new character and was compelling. And they they made you care about that story. It wasn't just a side character that they threw in there. Like okay, here's just some other character that you really don't care about. But all right, what is Max doing? It really wasn't like that. The story was compelling enough to where you even cared about some of these minor characters. They just had a way with the storytelling to get to to make everyone compelling in their own way. And then the cinematography of this movie, the the just the 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 shots that they get in this and just some of the gorgeous visuals of these like these machines with these 
spears and all these like handcrafted post-apocalyptic looking vehicles driving around and just the use of fire and uh color you know there's there was a beautiful moment where they're um where they're driving and like there's just this blue night sky and it just makes everything gorgeous the way that they got the lighting the way that they uh did a lot of the shots in this everything just there were just so many like just jaw dropping shots in this. And again, that you don't always get that with an action picture, but they were able to do that. And the last thing I'll say before I let somebody go is just the frantic pacing of this. I thought was just wonderful. It's a two hour movie and it's special when a two hour movie can have such or it can feel like it has such a fast pace. Like even when this movie slows down, there's just this feeling of tension because you're in a constant chase when it comes to this movie. So there, you feel like everything's on a time limit. Every scuffle or argument that the characters are having or every fight just feels like a volatile fight because because um, George Miller makes sure to remind you that, look, somebody else is approaching or something is coming or look, Here's a visual of imminent doom. Now let's see what the characters do. How are they going to get out of this situation? What's going to happen in this scenario? And it really is just the mark of masterful filmmaking. So, I mean, what can I say bad about this? Excellent pacing, great characters, excellent visuals, and it's a great follow-up, arguably in a lot of ways better than some of the original movies and that hardly doesn't happen this really is a diamond uh in the rough of what are reboot and remake and follow-up movies uh from an older time heather what about you yeah i have to agree because this movie it was actually almost on my essentials list too because there's something about this movie and how it's made and how it's done that is so captivating. And it, it's just something where nothing about it, or at least about the story itself, is overly complicated. It's, you know, a pretty standard story, but the detail that they put into this world that they bring you into, that is what really draws you in. This is just, I mean, if I could think of what the world would be like if it was post-apocalyptic. This is exactly what I would picture it being like. I think they did just a fantastic job of creating this world, this Mad Max world of, of people and situations and having to be innovative and having to be, you know, just things that they're having to do to kind of survive. And just the little details that they put into making this story that's not overly complicated just seem very more... Um, complex. And they did it in a very creative and clever way. They just made this an actual world of its own. And I thought that was so good. And that that's really what makes me like how they do this movie. It's got the feel. It's gritty. It's, it's rough. It's brutal. It's, you know, it, it pulls no punches. It's just very in your face the whole time. And I really liked that because they did it in a way where I don't know, it just you you're along for this journey. You're along for the ride. You want to know what's going to happen. You are invested in these characters. 
They, they give you enough information. They just, they give you enough about the people you're watching to make you want to be like, what's going to happen in their situation. And, you know, sometimes at least in, I feel like in a lot of the movies I've been watching lately, they don't do that very much, (laughs) you know, um, or they, they weren't at some, at the, some point in time, they weren't doing it as much as they are now. And I just think that, um, I, I don't know, just, they do a lot of subtle things that make the whole of the movie really, really good. And it is really well shot. I agree with that too, because man, they just have some scenes that like, you're, you're just, you're in it and you're just like, that looks awesome. So I do agree with that as well. And I mean, it's, yeah, Charlize Theron is, she's a powerhouse. Like every, every time I see something either new that she's in that I haven't seen or rewatch something she's done, she honestly might be one of the greatest actresses of this generation, honestly. Like, and I'm not just saying specifically because of this movie, but just how versatile she is in being able to play any role and not afraid to play any role. And um, this is one of those, those moments when she was very smart in choosing to do this movie because she actually is one of the show stealers for me in this movie. And I just, I liked her dynamic with the other women. I liked her dynamic with Max. I just liked how her character was related and connected to the other people in the movie. Um, yeah, I just, the acting is great. It's very eye-catching, even though, you know, it's pretty much like desert road the entire time almost. It really is just very captivating how they shoot this movie. And it's just, it's action, but it's such captivating action. And yeah, it's it's just a very well-told story. And I just, when I watched it again, I was like, I forgot how good this movie is. There's just so many parts when you're just like, man, this is good. So um, yeah, I really like it. Geez, such a love fest over here. <laughs> no, I'm not going to disagree. I think it's a good movie. <laughs> You wanted someone to disagree because this is too much positivity here. It is. It's too much love for a movie. I don't know how to handle this. Um, but no, I, I do. I really like it. And the funny thing is to me is that even though like there are some things in here and I know you guys were talking about how well it was shot and all this other stuff, but there are some scenes in here that like the special effects are garbage, but it's kind of still in a very 1980s looking way. So it doesn't actually detract you from the movie as much as it kind of pays homage to where the fuck this movie came from. You know, there's a lot of shots where it's blatant green screen and you could see the edges between the live actor and the green screen. And, you know, there's some of the shots you could just tell they're digitally made. And I mean, maybe that's the difference from when this movie came out to now, but it's still very obvious that they're digitally adding it in there and stuff like that. And like I said, it, it does catch your eye. Like it's very noticeable to me when it does those things. But like I said, it kind of just reminds you of the eighties and I, it it weirdly works in this movie. I mean, I, and I also know that there was a ton of controversy surrounding this movie. When it came out, there were so many basement dwellers that, we're just so upset that, you know, Furiosa is one of your 
more main characters in this movie and at times is more important to the movie than the title character Mad Max. And so many people were upset about that. And it's just mind-boggling though cuz if you're watching the movie, it's still good. Like you're not getting like less of Mad Max doing some cool shit, you know. And I'd argue this is also the coolest shit he's ever done in a movie. You know, a lot of it has to do with yeah. They could do way more now than they could in the 80s. But still, it's just cooler shit. I mean, the whole scale of this film feels bigger than ever when it comes to these types of movies. But then at the same time, like, while there's lots of things in here that kind of harken back to the the Mad Max movies of yore, uh, with the way some of the characters are designed and where you're getting weird, like, BDSM sexual elements put into things, like, the guy, the... Oh, I can't remember what town he's in charge of. I think he he might have been like the guzzling, which I do think is funny that they don't say gasoline. They say guzzling. Anyway, uh, of that town that mainly controls that, that he's this weird, morbidly obese man that the nipples are cut out on his shirt and he's got nipple clamps on. Like that just screams Mm -hmm. Thunderdome to me. Yeah. Or even what's his name, Imperium or the the main bad guy, uh, or his whole design. Joe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's his name though? His actual name is Immortium. Yeah, Immortium Joe. Like his whole like look is just so reminiscent of the old Mad Max movies, and like the whole weird of like like the weird genre stereotype of the wasteland mutant like characters and stuff like that. Uh, but I just love that you get those elements of it still. And, and they're like, and they're in the, and the great thing to me about those things is they're just like homages, um, homages, whatever the fuck you would say that to the old movies, because you don't have to see the old movies to get this movie. You know, you don't have to watch the other three Mad Max movies to get what's going on here. But if you have seen those movies, you, you see the connective tissue between them all. I also really like how they built the that cult like feeling around Immortium Joe in this movie. Yeah. And it, it it's like little subtle things here and there, but it it it's really cool because it kind of helps this world feel more built than what it actually is. Because I mean, for it being essentially like I said, a quote unquote world, a cinematic world, it's what three towns and like two different types of landscapes. I mean, that's it. It's or no three. Cause it's got a desert landscape, uh, a Canyon landscape and a, you know, type of bog type of scenario going on. But that's really the settings of this movie are those. And, you know, but they kind of help build this thing and make it feel so much more in depth than it probably actually, you know, well, than it obviously is. Cause I mean, it's all fake. But like those little elements and I like that they're there. They make like, and I like how there's no explanation to them just because there would be no need for an explanation to them with the world that's being built. You know, like how they're like, what is it? They're they're spraying that chrome shit all over their mouths before they go do like a suicide thing, like to amp them up or whatever. 
I'm assuming that's like a type of battlefield cocktail boost or something. Yeah. And, you know, with their culture kind of being built around, you know, modifying these vehicles and they talk about how chromey and shiny things are. That it was kind of a reference to that. And it's one of those things that they do that in this movie, but all the characters in this movie would know why they do it. So there is zero reason in this movie for anyone to ever explain why they do it. Because ultimately also it doesn't matter. It's not an actual plot point. So you don't actually need an explanation for this, you know? And so it's things like that, that I like, you know, because in doing that, it really makes the world feel lived in. It makes it feel like, you know, that world had been going on for 10 years and, you know, we'll be going on for another 10. Like it makes it feel like the, the, the place they've built within this movie is more authentic and real, you know? I mean, yeah, it'd be just like, you know, any movie that's made in America, even if they're watching it in some other country and, you know, like an American character drinks a cup of coffee. It'd be like if you're watching a movie and they explain why they're drinking a cup of coffee, it would make no sense. Everybody mm-hmm. knows Americans drink the fuck out some coffee. It's what we do. So there would be no need for an explanation because it would make no sense, you know? And so I like that aspect of this, that they do the things that they do in that universe and nobody questions it because they already know what it is. And so it really just, it, it, it really adds a, a more authentic feeling to it. And I mean, the, I guess the last thing I'll say in this section is, I don't know about you guys, but every time I see the scene with Tom Hardy, when he's strapped to the front of the vehicle at the beginning of the movie, you know, or the early parts of the movie where he's strapped on that vehicle and he's got that like muzzle thing on. I always mm-hmm. think it's Gerard Butler. I don't ever see Tom Hardy <laughs> there. I just see Gerard <laughs> Butler and I don't know why. I, it's something about the eyes and the hair when he's, you know, going down through the desert with the wind, kicking his hair back and stuff. It just always reminds me of Gerard Butler, never Tom Hardy. And that has nothing to do with my thoughts on this movie. It's just something <laughs> that I always have. Even when I always see the pictures, you know, cause that's always for whatever reason, a picture they use from this movie is him strapped to the front of this car with the wind, pushing back his hair with that muzzle on. And every time I see it, I just always think Gerard Butler, but yeah, other than that, lots of cool shots, lots of cool action, nicely paced, you know, pretty fantastic acting. Yeah, that's all my spoiler-free thoughts on this. Uh, so recommendations and scores, yeah? Yep. Yep. All right, Heather, go. Yeah, I definitely recommend this movie. I mean, for somebody who, as we kind of talked about in a previous podcast, I love dialogue in movies. I love movies where there's plenty of dialogue and just communication and interaction between characters like that. This one doesn't have a whole lot of that. And I still loved this movie, if that tells you anything about it. <laughs> um, it's really good action. It's really great acting. Uh, it really does take you into a whole world of its own. And you feel like it really is an actual world. And uh, yeah, it's just it does what movies should do and takes you out of your own world and puts you into theirs. And it does it really well. Very highly recommend this movie. Um, I'm going to give this 90 guitar heroes on the back of a vehicle out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? 
Yeah, I'm definitely going to recommend it. I think that this is a follow-up movie that manages to be better than a lot of its predecessors in a way. So I think that that's just uh, worth mentioning is that I think that this is just right up there with whatever Mad Max you think is the best. I mean, I think that Fury Road stands shoulder to shoulder with whatever you probably think is the best Mad Max movie. And I mean, there could be arguments about that for days. I know people who love Thunderdome. I know people love just the original. I know I know people that love the Road Warrior. So no need to debate all of those, but just I think it definitely stands shoulder to shoulder with all of those. Um, and really, that's why I think that's the best recommendation I can make. If you're somebody who's a fan of those older movies from the 80s, but for some reason, years have passed and you still haven't made it around to see this one or you're on the fence, you got to check it out. And if you've already seen this, uh, watch it again, because I had a lot of fun revisiting this movie. It was still a lot of fun and it just breezes by and you start to appreciate more things. And yeah, I saw some of the uh, special effects and I could tell like some of the fire effects weren't really there and stuff like that. But I don't know, man, this movie just has a charm and, and a way that it went about telling this story that it's just fun. It's just a lot of fun to watch, even when you've already seen it. So I would also recommend that you revisit it. Um, as far as a score, man, th th this is a really good movie that this is was one of the best movies the year that it came out. It won several awards. I mean, it's it, it's got a pedigree. It's got a following. It's got a reception. It made money at the box office. I mean, whatever good thing a movie can do, this did it. So, yeah. It, it's So, I think it deserves a really high score. So, I'm going 95. Um tussles on the back of a rig while people are throwing harpoon chains and trying to clamp down your vehicle out of a hundred. For me, I'm going to go a little bit further than Justin and say, you know, where he's like, it's arguably the best of the Mad Max movies. I'm going to say it, it, it just flat out is unequivocally. So, I don't actually think any of the other Mad Max movies are good. I'm not saying they're not fun to watch. I'm not saying that they're not cult classics. I'm not saying that anything like that. I'm just saying if you really look at the mechanics of the movies and the technical aspects and some of the acting, especially in the first one where they actually dub Mel Gibson's voice out of it, those movies are kind of poorly made. They're kind of garbage. but. They're also that fun kind of garbage that if anybody was like, hey, you want to watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? I'm never going to say no. I'm always going to be like, yes, we are going to watch the fuck out some Thunderdome. But like this, like, and that's what's so crazy about this movie is George Miller has directed all of them. He's had like an assistant director or like an, a co-director on, I think, Thunderdome. But like this movie, though, as far as just technical achievement and everything like that, is leaps and bounds, like, whatever the fuck that saying is, leaps and bounds, like, better. Like, and I understand this is also, like, you know, 30, 
years ish, whatever later and all that stuff. But I'm just saying like just the, the shots he gets in this, you know, the things that aren't limited to just newer special effects and newer shit like that. Just the fact that like some of the better shots he was able to get or just the way that he narratively told the story, I think is better in this than it was in the other Mad Max movies. I just, like I said, it's just head and shoulders above just all of them. And it's also just so weird too, though, because like when the fuck does a movie, a Mad Max movie or anything like that, like when are those ever critical darlings? Like just the fact that this is an almost universally beloved movie just really kind of shows a testament to how well this movie is made because when else do you have these pure action movies be like critical successes like this? Very true. Yeah. Yep. Seldomly happens. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but there is a black and white version of this movie too, which is also incredibly fun to watch. I didn't know that. Yeah. It fucks with the tone a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They actually even re-released it in theaters, like the black and white version for like a week or two. But it weirdly fucks with the tone of the movie and it kind of adds to the dystopian feel of it all. Um, but no, it's super good. I mean, you can watch either one. I just, I, I'm just going to throw out there. If you haven't seen the black and white version, at least watch like 30 minutes of it. Something just watch at least part of it. I, cause I almost want to guarantee you, if you watch the first 30 minutes, you're going to watch the whole thing. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really great. But Back to what everything else, I do recommend this movie. I'm going to split the difference. 93. Um, 93 what's? I don't know. Um, 93 Gerard Butler looking Tom Hardy's out of 100. <laughs> All right, so spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. And this, and this, this, this part isn't necessarily a spoiler. It's just I forgot to say it in the last section. I totally keep, I always keep forgetting that Nicholas Holt is in this movie mm-hmm. playing that young little road warrior guy. Like I always forget that is beast from the new X-Men movies, mm-hmm. but yeah. And, and, and then like a lot of the people that play, uh, Immortium's wives are fairly, you know, uh, known actresses and stuff like that. And yeah, you just kind of forget who all is actually in this movie with some of that stuff. But I mean, and and I know we're doing like the spoiler section, and everything like that, but I'm, it's once again, this is kind of ends up being like some of these other movies. Is there, it's really hard to spoil something in this movie. Cause it's not like there's a twist. It's yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like there's really nothing you can throw out there that actually spoils anything in this movie. You know, you could, you could walk up to somebody, tell them the last scene of this movie and they go, now watch it. And I guarantee it's not spoiled. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and that's why it kind of works. It's a very straightforward movie. It, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is to me and the reason why this works and the reason why everything like that is this is kind of like, I mean, it's kind of right up there with a John Wick type of movie. I mean, this movie literally, as far as plot goes, is just A to B. That's it. You know, it's it's a very linear plot line. Very straightforward, just very, you know, it gets the plot serves the purpose of actually moving just things forward. But like 
just the intricacies and the acting and the action and like those things, like that's what actually moves it. That's what is actually makes this movie so engaging, you know, because like all the, the character motivations are very clear. And well, I say that mad maxes aren't necessarily, especially at the beginning, but that's also kind of just what leads to that character. I mean, he's very much that lone wolf, just I, I survive type of character. And, you know, so putting him in that situation of helping and protecting people, like I know he's been there before and stuff like that, but I'm like, it's just not always, especially this version of Mad Max, which is just obviously like an older version of it, or, you know, like a, in the future past the other movies version of it, where, you know, that's just not where he's been for a while. It's just very obvious that, especially at the beginning of this movie, he's just been very on his own for a while. And that's what I kind of liked about it. I, I, I also like the fact that when it comes to fighting and stuff like that, I love the fact that no one in this movie, like really kind of just knew martial arts. It's just a very, it's a very scrappy fighting style. It's that you just have to know instinctually how to fight to survive in this world type of fighting style. And it fits and I love it. Uh, And so it's just one of those things that as, as crazy as this movie is in parts with like, it's, it, it it it's scenery and it's like weird background characters and stuff like that. I kind of just love how if you just pay attention to the movie itself, it's like self-explanatory. Like at the beginning of the movie, when it's going through all this stuff and you just weirdly see this room where there's women getting milked like cattle or, you know, he's running through a room of vegetation and, you know, just the fact that like, because of the circumstances they're in and, all this other stuff that there was like more birth defects and all this other stuff going on now. So the idea of him wanting to have like a pure bloodline type of situation going on where he was intentionally choosing women to mate with to produce healthy offspring because he had had some that had genetic birth defects and stuff like that. Like I like the fact that it kind of just shows that stuff and it never explains it. But if you just pay attention to what's going on, you learn it. You know what it is. You're never lost, you know? And it's those weird intricacies and those weird attentions to detail. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but at one point, because I didn't notice that, like the first time I'd seen her or anything like that, but on this latest rewatch, I noticed the uh, Immortium Joe when like they're out, you know, chasing them down and all this other stuff. And he's got that weird, clear chest protector thing on it. He's also got military medals on there and military ribbons. No, I didn't notice that. Hmm. And no, I don't think I did either. It just kind of goes back to the whole, like I said, it's a weird cult around him. You know, he's very much, it's very much along the lines of some of the stuff that you hear uh, out of something like in North Korea, where, you know, like Kim Jong-un could, you know, it was one of those things where like he played golf for the first time and got like 18 holes in one. And it, that's the type of shit they say about him, you know, and it's it's that type of mythos also around Immortium Joe that, of course, he's the leader. He's the most militarily decorated person you have and all this other stuff. And it's all bullshit. It's not like there's a real military with a real hierarchy and requirements for medals and all this other shit. Nope. It's just him saying, look, I'm the big, I'm the best. And the, like that cult following behind it. And with the whole like thing, whenever they're chasing him down and before Nicholas Holt's character joins the the other people, when he's like, I will personally carry you into Valhalla. 
Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, my God, yes, please. You know, that's the most exciting thing in the world. And like how his world all shatters because like he says, his blood bag is the reason why his favorite wife was dead and stuff like that. Like he's like, I, my life has no meaning anymore because of that. And, you know, and it's it, like I said, it's that, that cult aspect of why they follow him that even people from other towns that were essentially his peers also still did whatever was necessary to make him happy because of his cult-like status. And I mean, honestly, a lot of it has to do with like, how do you get to a cult-like status is you make yourself needed. This motherfucker controlled water for that region. So for a lot of people, he was in a matter of speaking God, because at any point he could take the water away. And as we know, like life on this planet needs water. He could restrict that and bam, everyone's dying. You know, he was their God. And that was one of the coolest things I liked about the ending of this movie is when Mad Max just shows him dead and everybody's like, holy fuck, that guy can die. All this shit's lie. Uprising. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. instantly just like everyone just uprising. And I love that because that is the type of thing that happens in cults. Like it's, it really is that type of thing. And it's just a very intriguing way to tie everything in with this. Plus, he also looked really cool. Also, at the beginning cool. of the movie. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say he looked really cool. Morty and Joe looked really cool. Yeah, he did. And just to add on to that, also at the beginning of the movie, when it shows you glimpses of him and really he's just this old, just fading away just decrepit almost kind of body and you see like all of this like you see the ugliness of him and then what he has to go through to have that transformation and the armor pieces added to him and everything that's put there and and then when the finished result is he looks like this mighty muscled up adversary but immediately they show you you know that it's that that it's all bs that that's how he looks to them but really this is what he is he's a guy being held up by all of these other things and resources he's controlling so it, like you said just that visual storytelling that never had to be said the moment you saw him being basically put together you know, this persona being literally put together and then you see the what he's doing and how he's controlling the water and everything. You understood exactly what he was without them having to do a lot of exposition. So, yeah, th- that was a good point that you mm-hmm. made. And the funny thing is, is some of that they could have done through exposition because all you would have had to do is when they're running away just have max the max character be like so what's his deal because it wouldn't be the most absurd thing that he wouldn't know this one essentially tribe-esque collective in this wasteland what their deal was so it it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to go hey what's his deal and then those characters that all knew him well and knew everything about because they were all in the inner circle if you will like gave the backstory on everything they could have easily done that and it wouldn't have been fake. They could have done it and it's still been authentic to the movie, but they just chose not to. 
And I think honestly, the movie's better for for them not. Yeah. You know, I think that's just a very interesting choice to do it, and I think it pays off. Um. Yeah, and even at the end, when T, when two, and he's like, you know, he does just show him dead in front of everybody, and he's just like, this means nothing to me. Here, this guy's dead. Like, it kind of shows even more of that. Like, he's removed from it, and yeah, I, I thought that was cool too. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, the whole character not having attachments to people, because you live in a wasteland. Like, people are going to die left and right. Like, you would, especially at a certain point, certain people would get jaded. And it's like, what's the point of making attachments when literally everything on this planet will kill you at this point? Uh, The final thing I'm going to say is one other thing I really appreciated about this movie is when Immortium Joe's mask gets pulled off, and it just rips off the entirety of his face. That was awesome. It was. It's a very cool scene. But how many other movies would have had him pop back to life and them having to like shoot him or something? And they didn't. Mm-hmm. He stretched straight up dead. Like he just dies then. And I'm just like so many other movies would have had that fake out death. And I love the fact that this movie just didn't. And I think that that's also a nod back to what Justin was saying just a little bit ago of him popping back up to life would have gave some credence to him being a powerful person, like a physically yeah. powerful person. Mm-hmm. Whereas in all actuality, he wasn't, he was a, he was an old man in a costume and what would happen to an old man in a costume if they had their fucking face ripped off, they'd be dead. And that's exactly what happened to him. And I, I like it. I think that that's a subtle way also for them to tie into exactly what you were saying, Justin. Like, so this movie is kind of bookended with showing the truth of the Immortium Joe character strictly visually. And that's incredibly smart. So now I believe it would be Heather question mark. Cause I don't know. So one of you two go. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that you, you guys brought up some really good points there too. And that the aspect of it being like a cult was very clear and obvious. And, and it's kind of like, there's that plus the idea of, you know, this world is garbage. Like (laughs) the, you know, it's, it's post-apocalyptic pretty much. And so they're just like, well, what else do we have to follow? Like this guy seems to think he knows something that's going to make things better. So why not? You know, you almost feel like they're, I mean, I think in most cases, when you're in a cult, you're kind of brainwashed or trapped into thinking that you have to be in that. But that's exactly what's happening here, too. And it's it's just incredible how they just make this world and this group and the war boys and all of this who would do anything to follow him and and please him and all of that. And it's it's just so well done without being overdone if that makes sense. And it's, it's, I just appreciated that too. Cause there's like, you were saying, I feel like you were kind of saying that a little bit sterling with like the simplistic ideas, like they, they just did things in a more simplistic or subtle way, but that had a greater effect on the whole outcome of the movie. And I really appreciated that about it. And I mean, yeah, Tom Hardy in this movie is there's something about the way that he does his performance that I just, I love it because he's so, um, 
again, subtle is the word I'm using for it because he just does these, these tiny things, you know, that, um, like it's just kind of his whole, like not really initiating communication with people or really knowing how to communicate very well with people. And he just does it so well, but he also is like, you know, I got a job to do. I got to, I got to get stuff done so that I survive. And he played that part so well. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, the dynamic between him and Furiosa was so great, you know, and it was almost like something about him. It, it just felt like his character and the way they had him in this movie, he was completely fine was sort of taking a backseat to Furiosa and the women like, and that was, it was just cool because it's like, he is a fighter. He's a warrior, you know, he's a, a, a fast thinker. I think quick on his feet, but he was just like, all right, cool here. You, you know, this is what I think. What do you think? This is your thing. Tell me what we're doing kind of thing, you know? Um, and I appreciated that as well because Furiosa, like this really felt like it was more her story and about her. And I was not mad about that. <laughs> like, she was a great character. Charlize Theron, of course, did a great job with her. And she just had all those elements of a leader and a rebel and all of those things that you want from somebody who's going to lead an uprising of some sort. And it was great. And I mean, you know, she has like a mechanical arm and she looks rugged and rough, but she's still like you know, the most beautiful woman in the world. It's crazy. I don't know how she does that, but um, it's just like, she just was, I don't know. She, she just was such a great leader and her mission was clear and her passion and her heart in it was clear. And I just think that she really was one of the standouts of this movie. And the other standout of this movie, honestly, was Nicholas Holt as I think his name was Nux. He was I he killed it for me in this movie. He was fantastic. Like I don't know what it was, but there was something about his character that I really I just liked his character. I like his development over the course of the movie. Just the fact that you know he clearly wasn't a bad guy. He was just in a situation where you know he was with bad people, like being in a cult, and. I don't know, but he just, his performance was so solid. It was so solid. And I think he did a great job. And like, I guess he's an underrated actor, at least for me. Like, I didn't know he had that much range in him. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he's Beast from X-Men. Like, you know, he plays all sorts of different characters and he just does them all so well. And to play this character and you almost don't even recognize him in this movie. But he, I just think that he kind of killed it in this role too. Um, yeah, him and Furiosa were kind of the standouts for me, aside from Max. But I just, I think that everybody really brought it and just how well they played off of each other. Like his relationship, Nux's relationship with the one of the wives, you know, and how they build this bond and this, you know, relationship or this friendship. And um, Zoe Kravitz's character, who is just really wise, you know, she's very smart. And I think her name is toast. The wise or something is her name in the movie. And you just see that because she's just very, she just is very knowledgeable and she understands she's like a critical thinker. It seems like she also would probably be a very good leader of that group. 
Um, but yeah, I just, everybody had very distinct individualistic characters, characteristics about themselves that, that it all played so well together in the, the group of people that they had leading this movie. And that really was another standout part for me for this was just the, the presence that everybody brought to this, this movie. So that's really kind of the only other thing that I wanted to add because yeah, I mean, there's not really much to spoil in this movie other than, you know, one of the wives, the, the pregnant wife is, you know, she doesn't make it to the end, but, um, even her part in it, like where she was just like, I guess, penned as like the favorite and, you know, as much as she was very delicate and she was very, you know, just kind of like this goddess-like person for Joe, she, she was really unhappy and she really was kind of a fighter and a soldier herself and a warrior in, in how she kind of handled the situation and tried to get out of it and fought to be free from him. And even to that, like everybody, you just see this kind of, I don't know what you would call it, like just hopelessness, I guess, from these women who are his wives and how, how afraid they are of him, but how very, very much they want to get away from him. And that is just felt throughout the whole movie too. Um, but yeah, there's not really a whole lot of stuff to spoil in this movie. And there's honestly not a whole lot of bad things about this movie. <laughs> like there's just, I can't pinpoint anything that I'm like, that really bothered me. I wish they would have done this differently. Um, that really, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I mean, even, even to the point of Nux, Nux's character, I, I think I wish that his ending and outcome would have been a little different, but I understand completely why it's not <laughs> like why it's not a different outcome. And he is just very much that character who's going to sacrifice himself for somebody else. And that was kind of even throughout the whole movie, that was his thing. So, you know, the characters and their development and who they were as people, it was consistent throughout this whole movie and the whole story. And I mean, even up to the way where it ended, where you're just like, you know, there's no like long goodbyes or anything. It's just like, all right, cool. You guys are here. <laughs> I'm peacing out. See you later. Bye. Very realistic to who Max was as a character. And yeah, I just, I just think everything was very, very meticulously thought out in how they told every story or every part of the story and how they really fleshed out all of the characters. So yeah, that's the only thing I had to add. Justin, what about you? Cool. Yeah. So everybody made some uh, really good points um, about everything and everyone. And, and yeah, I just pr pretty much concur with all of that. Uh, just some things that stood out to me, like, this is definitely a lesson in how to craft fight scenes and chase scenes, because uh, what was amazing about this and, and what I definitely noticed on this second watch is that the is that the fight scenes are less about what type of fighting they're doing, just like as Sterling pointed out, there wasn't, it was basically just street fighting and brawling. There wasn't a lot of martial, there isn't martial arts or people doing uh, off the wall karate kicks or anything like that. Uh, but 
what I think is incredible about the fight sequences is that he is that the way they are crafted is there's these it's not about the punches or the kicks more than it's about all of the other things going on surrounding that fight and them just doing these nice cuts where they're cutting away of something approaching the two people fighting or one person grabs something. And so it looks like they're going to get out of the predicament, but then all of a sudden their leg is grabbed by another person. Then they dispatch that person, but then the person that they were fighting uh, is up now. And now they grab them. Like there's just a whole lot of that going on or the central thing of the fight is okay these two people are trying to get to this gun then somebody grabs the gun but then the other person kind of uh releases the clip of the gun then another person grabs the clip but uh is unable to get it to the person and then all of a sudden somebody fires a shot but that person's able to uh grab the gun enough to uh prevent themselves from being shot like what I loved about the fight scenes in this is that there was always something either happening or developing in the fight or something was approaching and like I just think that that is what makes you invest more in fight scenes we had talked uh the other episode we did we kind of got into a conversation about what invest you in action sequences and stuff like that i think that was brought up by heather and to me this is how you do them correctly it's putting those story pieces around it so every fight feels like something could potentially happen to these characters and you're just intrigued or you got Mad Max hanging upside down and he's only um and and, and um, Furiosa's got a hold of his foot and she's able to hold him because of that metal arm then all of a sudden she gets stabbed in her back and it's like oh man she gets stabbed and you see the then it cuts to her grip loosening on Max and then all of a sudden there's this car outside and you see him charging forward and Max looks helpless and the car is charging forward to him and it's like oh what's gonna happen so like they just in every fight, there were like four or five other things going on, not just that fight. They kind of added some stress and some uh, some stakes, that's the word, to each fight. And I think if more fights were like that, you would just be invested all the time. If more fights seemed like those types of things were happening and, and and you're good about cutting at the right times, you're not cutting because we got to have this actress uh, throw the guy, but you're cutting to show that, look, this, the time is running out, you know, look at this happening or look where this is compared to where they are and watch, look as this other person is approaching as these two people don't really see that person approaching just that this, it was done so excellently in this. I think it's worth pointing out just how, how well they crafted each of those fight scenes and the chase scenes and everything like that so i just definitely wanted to point that out and just just and just being able to maximize the stories of these characters without um 
a lot of exposition. Like we we talked about Joe and how you did need a lot of exposition for that. But uh, Charlize Theron's character, Furiosa, th- there wasn't a lot of exposition given there either. But they gave you just enough to understand what that woman was. You understood that she had grown up under um under Joe and in that system and within that cult so to speak we got that in one sentence and we didn't have to go back we didn't have to go back and have an actress as Furiosa as a kid and show her going through abuse or wanting to get out or earning her her rank or whatever the case may be or having a secret conversation with the wives and them deciding they're going to get out you didn't need any of that to know that that stuff happened like all of that I know happened without them having to tell me it did and then you know just that scene of whenever they arrive back to her people and she thinks that she's going to get a glimpse of her home and just that realization that the home is not there and Charlize Theron did a great job acting and and that's part of it too she just did some incredible acting there to show just the the feeling of distraught or that realization that you don't have a home anymore. And you could just tell without them having to show any scenes that that was that little girl just thinking, if I just do this, if I just cooperate, if I just earn the ranks one day, I'm going to be able to get back to where I belong. I'm going to be able to get home and it's going to be over. And I'm going to be able to know that even though I'm doing all of these things and I'm becoming this trusted member of Joe's army, one of these days it's going to all pay off and I'm going to be at home and everything like that. And the realization that you have no home, I just thought that that was strong. And And they did that without having to have any exposition or flashbacks or any of that. So to me, that is just masterful storytelling and really just marksman like dialogue to where the characters are saying just enough for your audience to get it. And, and, and like we said, just a very simple story, but I just like how all of your main characters just had a little redemption arc that pretty much was this movie. The movie was really just about redeeming yourself and everybody kind of had a little bit of that you know Furiosa that's what she was trying to do she even says well what what he was like when when um Max asked her what are you trying to accomplish and she said redemption but the funny thing is is that or the cool thing I think is is that that is why Max connected with her that's why he sort of had some empathy for them and what they were trying to do because obviously he was suffering from some past demons there were some people he tried to protect and he failed to protect them so when he saw Furiosa trying to do something similar she had these people that she was trying to protect and trying to get them to safety and everything like that of course he's the loner badass Mad Max but eventually that just that 
got to him. And maybe it was a bit of redemption for him to be able to help. If he could help these people, then maybe he could feel a little bit better about the people he lost. So there's a redemption story there for him. And then Nux, who you guys also mentioned, of course, he starts off in the code. And then, of course, we know how his story ends and everything. And there was a redemption arc for him. So even though he died, that character redeems himself. And that's kind of what our main characters do in this story. So, I mean, so George Miller just took those simple things, that simple theme of redemption, gave it gave it to his main three characters, made them all reach that together in some sort of way, unique ways, but it's still all there. And then he he craps that around just all of these just incredible scenes and gives you those visuals you remember from the old Mad Max movies. And it just all just makes for just a great recipe. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't I don't know if I really had any like spoilery things, besides that but yeah I just wanted to comment on just some of the craftsmanship and how well executed it was in this movie no I definitely agree with that and I just want to bring up something too that that I guess falls under spoilery Um, so the character the splendid the one what Rosie Huntington Whiteley the pregnant lady Mm -hmm. that dies yes did you guys notice that Mad Max is the reason she dies um, like he's no. responsible for her death so whenever he shot at her and nicked her leg you know she had that wound she slips and falls from the truck because that wound was bleeding on her leg and her foot was bloody from it and she slips and that's why she falls up the truck oh i didn't catch that well, that's a bummer oh, okay yeah hmm. i noticed that this time I, I i didn't notice it the first time but i noticed it this time when we watched it that yeah that she slips because her foot's bloody from her leg wound because it shows mm. it shows her leg when she slips and it's blood coming from that wound down her leg yep that's a bummer <laughs> but also with everything crazy going on in that situation no one knows that he did that like that that was why but the moviegoer does mm-hmm. so just more food for thought on that scene yeah but I mean, the last thing I'll bring up with this is so George Miller has recently confirmed again that they are still working on a Furiosa prequel to this on a scale of one to 10. How excited are you for that to happen? Hmm. I'd say about an eight. I think that'd be a good movie. Yeah, I'm about there. Seven or eight. I think it would be good. I mean, if it's anything like this was, man, it should be very good. So. Yeah, I'd watch it for sure. But yeah, I mean, it'd be just the stuff that she talked about, like kind of what you were talking about, Justin. It's just the whole like from when she was young being kidnapped and then being raised in Immortium Joe's world and her rising up to become an, an imperator and being able to drive one of those war machines. So type of situation. Um, I was actually I would have looked forward more to, though, originally they were talking about doing a spinoff sequel of this that just focused on Furiosa and that that place after Mad Max left I'd be more intrigued by that Mm. oh Hmm. that would be good too yeah Yeah. because my problem with prequels is you know how they end 
<laughs> like you, you know what the end is. And I mean, it's sometimes that's fine, but like, I don't necessarily want that. I want to see the new stuff. You know what I mean? Like I that's what I want to see. I want to see the crazy new shit. Cause I know what she gets into. I mean, the only thing that is mysterious that might be cool is how she loses her arm. But yeah, outside of that, I'd rather see new shit, but I mean, I would, I would love to see George Miller do a sequel to this. And I'd love to see more with Furiosa, even out, even if it is outside of technically a Mad Max movie, but any more thoughts on this guys? No, sir. I'm good. Oh, I also, I also want to say that I think that it's so outlandish that they had like a specific just dude playing guitar whenever they were like headed out to do stuff and were in the middle of doing all their stuff. I it totally worked. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> it just totally worked. Like he's sleeping and then they're ready to go and he's like, oh, okay. And then he just starts playing immediately as they're like driving away. It completely works, but it was just like, who thinks of that? That's so, it's so interesting and it's very unique, but it, it just was like, this is the most outlandish thing, but it, totally works yeah yeah that guy was cool and um even when he got beat up a little bit by max (laughs) i loved how he got beat up a little bit but when and max kind of just like you know get out of my way and he got away from the guy and then the guy got back on the guitar and then started shredding even harder like he just he was angry he got beat up, but he just let the anger flow in the guitar. And when he did that, I went, okay, this guy, this is the greatest guy in the world, probably. I mean, one of them. He's got to be. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever when he started, like, shredding in anger after Max beat him up for a little bit. Well, another cool thing about that scene, and it kind of goes back to something we've all been talking about with this movie, when it comes to the little things with this movie so i don't know if you guys notice this either in that scene whenever mad max starts beating up the guitar guy the guitar cuts out of the music like the score of the 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 movie and the guitar comes back in when he gets his guitar back i did Mm. notice that yeah and that was tight yeah and it's just a small thing that's you the i would never blame anybody for never noticing that but just how cool of a detail is that? No, that's that's really tight. Like, I, I, I noticed that, too. I was like, oh, you could hear it fade out as he was getting beat up. And then there was no guitar. Then as soon as he got it back, he, he it just came back and started shredding. And it was almost like on beat or on rhythm to kind of the pace of what was happening, which made it that much cooler. So yeah, I totally appreciated that. They legitimately crafted that song around that scene. Yeah. What it is. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And, and it's just one of those things It goes back to this, this whole thing where, you know, right up like, like I was talking about, like that little detail of what actually ends up causing splendid's death to just a scene where a guy, a guy is on bungee cords playing guitar in the middle of the fucking apocalypse desert on a vehicle. And when Mad Max fights him and beats him up, the guitar cuts out the score. It's just tiny little attention to detail things that when directors and actors and writers and producers are all dedicated to doing shit like that, you, you, it just shows 
it just always shows with the quality of the film. Even if you're not noticing the little things, I promise you they're making a difference even if you're not realizing it. And it just, it, it always shows when st- stuff like this. Yeah. And it's, and it also shows that sometimes a movies just can get away with things because yeah, a guy with a flaming guitar on the back of a vehicle, you know, on a vehicle, uh, given the the rest of the group theme music as they go to war that that does just seem a little ridiculous and then there are a lot of just ridiculous things like the people dangling from these long ass javelin yes. platformy things and they like get you know they're 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 just rocking back and forth and it just looks like at any moment that would just go wrong for you and you were just dead. Like it just seems like the worst idea. Yeah. It just seems like the worst idea ever, but yeah. Like, but in this movie, they get away with it. Like it's just totally, they get away with it because it's of the style of it and the way it was used. They would suddenly come, you know, you're like, that is stupid and impractical. Then all of a sudden a guy dangles over and he throws a bomb in the, in the roof of the uh, vehicle. And you're like, huh, well, I mean, they found a way to use it. And then another time, (laughs) another one grabs one of the women and, and then he dangles back and puts her in their vehicle. And you're like, well, th- I guess they got a lot of practical use out of this. They <laughs> like, were prepared. Even, they were so yeah. prepared for everything. But, you know, that that that's ridiculous stuff. But it, it, this movie gets away with it, man. It just it knows what it is. It has a sense of style and you will roll with just whatever is happening, you know, <laughs> Well, it uh, it it goes to show though that like, I mean, to me the thing I love about the guitar playing guy, that's also because that vehicle also has like eight huge ass drums on the back of it too, is it kind of just adds to me to more of the cult aspect of it. It's like that's yep. their version of hymnals, like in their apocalyptic church, if you will. That's their version of the the pipe organ, or something like that. Like it's just one yeah. of those things mm-hmm. that it it adds that that element of it it's their battle cry it's that whole aspect of it and so it's the little things like that that like as ridiculous as it is and how it does work in this movie like i said you feel like there's more thought behind it than and honestly maybe than there actually was i could be like that could have just been something that george miller had while just mainlining coke one night but <laughs> it feels like there was legitimate thought as to why that would happen in this movie, you know? And like what you were saying with the guys on the, the polls and shit, it's like, yeah, it, who the fuck ever thinks of that? But then like, it's one of those things like it's an apocalyptic wasteland type of situation with people that spray chrome shit in their mouths before they go do something suicidal to go to Valhalla. Like it just kind of, it's that weird apocalyptic ingenuity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I really do hope George Miller thought of all that while mainlining Coke one night. I hope he was doing it in the eighties when everybody did it. And he's just now like coming out of that bender for like 30 years. And he's like, you know what? I need to put that in a movie (laughs) because so much of this movie makes sense 
like, because I, I don't know how you even think of so much of this stuff, but like, it just makes sense if you just think of it as he was doing coke for thirty straight years, and finally came down and is like, I'm going to put all of that in a movie, and now that he's sober, he made it work. I'm not trying to disparage George Miller. I'm not actually trying to say he's a coke fiend. I've got no idea anything about him, other than the fact that he's Australian. That's really all I know about him. But I just like that mental image. So on that note, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Simple Slayers podcast. Check us out uh, on the internet at www.simpleslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook at Simple Slayers podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at cinema underscore slayers. And we have definitely got more of these coming your way because what the fuck else is going on in movies? Nothing. Everything is getting pushed. No MCU in the year 2020, which will be the first time it's happened since 2009, if I'm remembering correctly. So, yeah, just keep riding along with us. Uh, so on that note, guys, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Don't you forget about the 80s music like Justin did.